The estate planning team is an Ohio-registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Oh, the green and red mayo, I can see it still. It's soft and craggy boglands, it's tall majestic hills, where the ocean kisses Ireland. Waves caress its shore. Oh, the feeling it came over me to stay forevermore, forevermore. Good morning, everyone. You found financial food for thought. My name is Mark Donnelly, and my partner, Carrie Waddell, is off today. We're taping this show, you know, on Friday mornings. And she's off doing the college spring break thing, picking up daughter and to get in her home for the spring break. And happy St. Patrick's Day. A little bit early here, but we'll, I'm sure Clevelanders are excited that the parade is going to be back after a two-year absence due to the Rona. And I'm sure that hopefully the weather will hold out. Also, uh, don't look now, but it's uh, this weekend. It's time to daylight savings time. Spring ahead, right? So we, we lose an hour of sleep Sunday morning. And for new listeners, this is Financial Food for Thought, and we're the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans. For over 35 years. And over those decades, we've never had to deal with real inflation like we're seeing these days. And what you know, the CPI data came out. It wasn't very good. You know, almost an 8% handle year over year. That's the headline number, 7.9. If you want to look at core inflation, that's where you strip out food and energy. That came in year over year at 6.4%. Now, I know there's a lot of debate on why do we even talk about core inflation? Because isn't real inflation, you obviously have to buy food and have to buy gas. So if those are going up then why do we ignore those and focus on core inflation, which does ignore those? And I think you could debate that either way. And, of course, the reason is that energy, food, it's a global volatility. It it goes well beyond what is happening here in the U.S., and I think that's partly the reason. And the other thing, too, is it would also, I don't think you'd, you'd really want to base your financial plan. In other words, if you're building a model at home, a 30-year model, do I hear 35, maybe 40 years, depending how old you are. Maybe it's 20 years. That's part of why your plan is different than your neighbor's, by the way. But if you if you were saying, I'm going to build this model out and I have to make an assumption about what rate of inflation am I going to use to build that model? It's one of the assumptions you have to make, obviously. Well, if you use the recent, I mean, how much is oil, how much gas, how much has it gone up in the last 12 months? I, I've lost track. I mean, obviously it's 25, 40%. I mean, it, so you're telling me that you want to build your model assuming that the overall inflation is 25% for the next 30 years? Well, I can tell you without even running those numbers, your plan isn't going to work. Okay. Um, also, let's go the other way. Let's say you if you think that or at some point that gas oil prices will come back down 
I'm not saying it's coming back down this year or this month or this weekend. I'm just saying at some point, will it come back down? And it's a lot to deal with supply and demand. Obviously, see, right now, the oil suppliers are in no rush, in my opinion, to bring to pump more. Why? Why would they? They're getting the they're testing new highs on their product. They're trying to recoup the losses or the, the negative returns they had during the Rona shutdown when when oil went negative. All right, so they're recouping that. Do you blame them? Do you think that they're in a rush to create more supply so the, the, the price goes down? Do you really think that that's what they want to do? Do you think if President Biden asks them to do that, they're, they're just going to jump up and start drilling? Now, you could say, well, what about drilling here at home in the U.S.? Well, okay, but if you, you just can't snap your fingers and get that done. All right, because it takes time. I mean, the the drillers need drills. They need workers. Where are they going to get the workers? You know the, the, the problem companies are having finding workers and parts. You know, do they have the oil rigs? Do they have the parts? Do they need to get the parts from from wherever? Is it sitting in their inventory right now? Because if it's not, it might not be there tomorrow. So it's going to be time. But yes, eventually, if we're producing more at home, if Canada can send us more, I don't know if they can or not right now, if Mexico can send us more, there are two big importers. Um, that, and then you have the other players. But yeah, eventually, as the supply of oil goes up, the price will come down. Now, let's say that happens quicker than what you may be thinking. So back to your building your financial model. This is back to the difference of why they strip out of core inflation energy. Because are you then, let's say three years from now, let's say oil shoots down, maybe not as fast as it shot up, but let's say oil is 25% decline or reduction. So that'd be a negative inflation, right? If the price goes back down, Okay, so are you then going to rerun your financial plan and assume instead of assuming a uh, 5% or 4% inflation ongoing, you're going to assume then because energy went down and it made the overall statistic go down by a negative you know, 10%, are you going to assume that ongoing inflation is a negative 10% for the rest of your 30-year plan? No, of course not. So you can't have it both ways, right? I mean, are you going to, yeah, yeah people say, well, when, when, when energy and food's going up, it's not right to strip it out. But yet I don't hear those same people when, when food and energy is going down, they're saying, okay, I'm going to assume that the rest of my inflation is going down. So that's just something to think about. Um, and if you would like help building a financial plan. If you if you're if you're struggling to do that, if you've never done it before, um, please give us a call. Um, like I said, we've been helping families do this for over 35 years. Um, if you'd like more information, you can visit our website. That's financialfoodforthought.com. Just one string, financialfoodforthought.com. On there, you'll find financial articles. There's calculators. You can also link to our previous show, uh, radio show, podcast. You know, the, the WHK, they, you know, they keep, a pod, they keep a podcast library of all the shows over the weekends. And you can just go in and our website has a link. You can go directly in that and listen to previous podcasts. You can also sign up for a free, no obligation consultation. That can be done in person or at our, you know, Middleburg Heights office. It's, it's really what you're comfortable with in, in the world of the Rona and everything else that's going on. Um, so. If you would like that, you can sign up for that on our website, or you can call our office number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. And just leave a message if you're calling over the weekend, and someone will get back a hold of you on Monday, or if you're sending an email or going to our website and signing up and you don't hear back from us, just give us a call to make sure our computers our robots are talking to one another i also you know thinking that in order to be a successful central banker 
or politician, I guess, that I think you have to, if you're going to be successful, I think you have to become a good liar. Um, and that may not be as negative as what that may sound like. Now, of course, I've been saying for, you know, with politicians, I mean, I, I've stopped believing in what politicians say a long, long time ago. You know, you know, even before, you know, read my lips, um, you know, so that's one thing. But even the central bankers, you know, Jerome Powell or even the EU and, and what they had to say, a lot of times yeah, they may they have to make public comments and whether or not they're always telling the truth is subject or, you know, in other words, are do they not really know? I mean, of course, the, the most recent classic example of this is that this inflation was going to be transitory, meaning it wasn't going to be entrenched. And now we've seen the Federal Reserve and the central bankers backpedal on that a bit and saying, well, perhaps it is going to be lasting longer than what we first thought. Now, were they lying when now are they lying about it or were they lying back then or did they not know? And now that's the question. It's that self-fulfilling prophecy that we sometimes talk about. In other words, if consumer confidence and and the animal spirits that that people make financial decisions on, if they're feeling really negative, then they may say, "Uh oh, I am going to batten down the hatches. I'm going to tighten my belt. I'm going to start restricting my consumer spending, which then starts the spiral of that's causing further financial problems, right? And and that's that self-fulfilling prophecy. It's it's the same kind of thing about right now. We talk about when is the, uh, you know, the next recession or what I'm calling the recession. (laughs) In other words, be this Russian war. Is that going to cause a global recession that will reach our shores in the U.S.? Certainly, it has the uh, has the possibility of doing that. So we could say, all right, so do the central bankers sometimes have to sweeten it up a little bit? Are they lying when they tell us it's transitory or lying when they say it's going to be better soon? You know, I don't know. When, and I could spend the whole hour talking about the politicians, right? Well, OK, so let's look at the politicians. Um, all right. So the White House right now is really struggling with their messaging. You know, when when President Biden was campaigning, there was many clips where he was saying he wants to get rid of or or end the USA's dependence on fossil fuels. I mean, he made that was part of his campaign promise. And and now all of a sudden he's he's because of this pressure, he's now saying not only are we going to stop, you know, originally he said he was not going to ban Russian oil. Well, then he reneged on that and and, and said, yeah, we are. Then he was going to say, well, originally he's saying, well, we really don't want the U.S. drilling more or upping production. Well, now he's reneged on that, I guess, and saying, well, yeah, maybe he does want that. So was he lying now? Because that's the problem right now with the oil producers. Who do they believe? The Biden, who was their worst enemy in campaign, saying that they wants to end and the big bad oil companies and, and, and ending fossil fuels? Or the Biden now who's saying, yeah, I really want to work with you producers so you can produce more. Where is he lying both times? All right. Then, then you've got the White House press secretary, Jan Saskey, right? And and all right, so the she's gets gets caught up in in white lies, right? You know, and we had this, like I said, the CPI, and she's trying to be up there and saying, well, yeah, but it's it's really not as you know, calling it this is all due to Russia. It's like, well, no, Jan, it's not really all due to Russia because the, the, the advance of Putin into Ukraine happened at the end of February. The, the, the readings that we just got includes all of February. It doesn't re- probably even encompass the, the further economic woes of the Russian war. Um, also, it, it's, it's been leading up. And then, and then she said, well, no, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You, you, you don't want to look at the year over year. Well, the good news is that the monthly increase is decreasing. Well, she, is she, does she not know that that's old data now? Remember, I talked about that on the show 
when President uh, Biden used that spin in back in, it was like November, December time frame. Okay. But since then, no, Jan, it's not the case with data shows. So, so for example, what, what Biden was saying back in December, if you look at the headline CPI numbers, and there's the year-over-year number they give you, and it's also the monthly, the month-over-month numbers they give you. So if you look backwards, all right, um, back in November, well, let's go back to October, October of 2021. Okay, the headline year-over-year came in at 6.2%. And the monthly for October was an increase of 0.9%. Okay. Then you look at November. Okay. November year over year is up. Remember October was 6.2%. November it was 6.8%. Uh Oh, going the wrong way still, but the monthly decreased. It was a 0.8% lower than the previous month's 0.9%. Then you get to December of 2021. Okay, the headline number was year over year 7%. That was the 7% handle that really raised a lot of eyebrows. All right, but the monthly was down to 0.5% increase, lower than the previous November, 0.8%, which was lower than the previous October, which was 0.9%. That was the trend that President Biden wanted to focus on. That was the trend that Jan this week was trying to focus on. But, but unfortunately, the data is not holding up. Because when you look at the January numbers, right, for January, the headline year over year now went from December 7% to January 7.5%. But yet now the monthly ticked back upwards again from the December's 0.5% to January's 0.6%. And now we just got February's, the February year over year, 7.9%. Okay. We're, we're talking, I mean, I don't know how close it was to the, uh, you know, the 8% handle, right? But it's getting pretty darn close. Um, now, but what was the monthly? The monthly was 0.8%. Back to November's numbers, okay? So all of a sudden, in most recently, what Jan was saying, that the monthly increases are decreasing, uh, not most recently, Jan. You know, December was 0.5, January was 0.6, February was 0.8. Right? So that isn't boding well. Now, all right, so is she lying? Who knows? All right, how about... Janet Yellen, interesting individual, former Fed chair, now Secretary of Treasury, now political, more political than her role as a Fed chair. Now she has to toe the line, right? That's what, as if you're in the cabinet, that's what you do. Um, now, so she made comments. Um, well, you know, it, it was interesting back in. Oh, I don't know if it was last October, maybe even before that. She was saying that she still felt, still believed that the inflation would be tapering off, you know, come the second half of this year, 2022. All right. More of that transitory thinking. Well, more recently, now she's kind of saying, well, maybe it won't be the second half of 2022. It's going to be longer. All right. Is she now? She's not saying it's entrenched forever. She's still saying it will decrease. But it just might not. You might not see that show up in the data in the second half of 2022. All right. So is she lying now? Was she lying last year? I'll let you be the judge of that. Um, and the reason why she's saying you won't see the data taper off is just what I just mentioned. Because if you look at the numbers, the year-over-year -year CPI readings, you see that most of that hot inflation didn't start in the beginning of 2021. It was more towards the middle or latter part of 2021. So you have those higher months in that 12-month average, 
added now to the 2022 early months that are still going up. So you look over a 12 month and that's why she's saying even if even if inflation started tapering off on a monthly basis, a monthly increase is decreasing in the second half of 2022, the year over year number is still going to look ugly. It's still going to be going up because of the averaging of it. And that's kind of why she's saying that, um, you know, it, it's, it's probably, you know, not going to see relief as quick as she was saying last year. So that leads to then a discussion. Well, are we going to have a recession in 2022 or 2023? And that is something that we'll be talking about on this show as we go forward. I was born in a country where people admire their great sporting heroes and how they aspire to stand upon mountains and always be winners and never give less than their all. I once met an old man who told me great stories of legends of old who played hard for the glory of lifting the cup in that moment of triumph. His memories kept me in St. Patty's Day. So hopefully everyone will have a good time. St. Patrick's Day with the welcoming the parade back to Cleveland. I wonder if uh, I haven't checked into the other cities, the major cities, Chicago, New York, if they're uh, celebrating the St. Patrick's Day parades as well. So we're talking about the host of Mark Donnelly's estate planning team, Financial Food for Thought. Kara will be back next weekend. She's doing the, the college spring break travel right this weekend. So we're talking about, do you think there will be a recession here in the next short time period, medium time period? Well, I was mentioning Janet Yellen. She says no. She does not think that this longer inflation will lead to a U.S. recession. Is she lying? Goldman Sachs, you've heard of them, they put a 35% chance of a U.S. recession next year. Okay, not necessarily 2022, perhaps 2023. Um, Palumbo Wealth Management's chief investment officer, Philip Palumbo, He said, you know, the combination of high U.S. debt levels, rising inflation, and what he called essentially World War III developing in front of our eyes will result in a recession at the end of this year. Hmm. Is he lying? Nobody knows, right? Now, next week, we'll hear from our lead central banker, Fed Chair Powell, Jerome Powell. Fed Chair President Jerome Powell. And I do believe he is going to increase interest rates. Now, I think it'll be 25 basis points. I don't think he's thinking 50 basis points. But I do think that they cannot risk not raising interest rates. And we'll see what happens. But more importantly, we'll see what he says. And what I'm looking for is what the Fed's new dot plots are going to be showing. You know, are they going to be showing that they're still thinking that by 2023 or 2024, they've got their monetary policy will navigate the soft landing and get things back to normal, meaning pre-Rona normality, where their target inflation or target, you know, 2% full employment and everything going, the, the, the U.S. economic engine, you know, running fine. I don't know how many people believe that they will be able to successfully do that, especially with the Russia war in Ukraine and the oil issue right now. You know, a lot of people say, how can you possibly think that our inflation can get back to a 2% handle when at $100 a barrel oil, if not 110, do I hear 120? You know, are they going to test the new highs at 140 or 150? 
And and if they do, how is how are we going to get back to a two percent overall inflation? So we'll we'll see, um, and we'll keep an eye on that. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, our uh, Senate and our House agreed on a one point five trillion dollar spending bill. Well, isn't that good news for everyone? I don't even have time to get in what what is what is included in that. I mean, a lot of it was I think it's like 14 billion, you know, aid to Ukraine. And and you could say that's taxpayer dollars. Money's well spent. Now, what else is in there? Well, you know, that's that's what the the, the devil in the detail. Right. Now, it's one of those things where they didn't have too much time to review it. I think the House passed it within, you know, within eight hours or 12 hours of when it came out. Um, so we'll see. But anyways, they're still spending money as a point. So so and and that's and the other thing, too, that's not even the one I don't even think what I was looking for is, you know, the idea that, um, you know, was that going to include this this piece of legislation that's going to cement or really get off the ground the Ohio Intel project, right? And, and you know, that's that idea where Intel is saying, yeah, they picked Ohio, you know, Governor DeWine and, and the Ohio staff and the Ohio politicians got them to, you know, it's a great win for the state of Ohio. But as I was talking about a few weeks ago on the show when, when they came out with that, I think that's still contingent on a federal bill that would provide a lot of money. And that I don't believe is done yet. And there are two competing bills. The Senate passed the United States Innovation and Competition Act, and that included like $52 billion in funding for semiconductor research, design and manufacturing, um, that, and they passed that. And then I think more recently, the House passed the America Competes Act. I think that was in February, or maybe it was March. Maybe it was early this month. But um, And... That also had that $52 billion in funding, and that's what I think Intel is basing that to get the Ohio deal to go, they're going to need that. Now, there's, so there's bipartisan support for this, but yet I don't think it's a done deal yet. And, and I don't think that was in this $1.5 trillion spending. Now, what this did, ominous bill did do is it, it prevented a government shutdown uh, that would have happened technically this weekend. So that was at least uh, a, a good thing. So you listen to Mark Donnelly, and this is Financial Food for Thought. If you would like a free consultation or would like information about us, or if you want to build your plan, R, and by that I'm meaning where you're building a plan that is assuming that there could be a major economic downturn, whether that's a stock market crash or perhaps a U.S. recession, in the next 12, 18 months, and you want to see how that would affect the longevity of your plan, especially if you were making a major financial decision in that same time period. Perhaps you're looking to retire and join the Great Resignation. Perhaps it's looking at you are looking at buying a new house, um, or perhaps you've got college educations or children's weddings that are coming up, and you're wondering what if this happens when we're in the middle of a of a market decline? And I and I always been told don't sell my stocks low if I don't have to. So you know, and and you're wondering also, or maybe you're already retired, but now you had planned a certain level of lifestyle spending in retirement, and now you're wondering whether you'd be able to still maintain that if this inflation goes longer on top of a major economic downturn, such as a U.S. recession right now. So that's what we can help you understand and get your arms around that. And we do that by building models and, and, and also talk about, you know, the three simple things that building the model is just one of the three things that we always, you know, simply to, to have our listeners remember how you protect yourself and your family against the next economic downturn. And one is maintain an adequate cash reserve. Okay, and and so so if the if the if the stuff does start hitting the fan, 
you don't have to sell your stocks low to maintain that lifestyle or pay for that wedding or pay for that Hawaii trip. You can rely on your cash reserve and gives time for your market positions to come back. So so for you, it's more of a paper loss than a realized loss. Um, and in the meantime, if you're not selling your stocks low, you're still collecting the dividends, which can help fund that lifestyle, right? Second thing is, you know, rebalance periodically. You know, don't take on more risk than what you need to be okay. You know, everybody's, you know, so concerned about this market correction that we've had here in the, in, in so far in 2022. You know, the market's down more than 10% off the highs. Volatility is way up again, um, but uh, people f- quickly forget that we had three back-to-back years of double-digit returns in the markets, and including 2020, where we had the Rona recession, where it, 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 we had a th- we saw a 35 percent drop from peak to trough in the S and P 500. But by the end of 2020, things still looked okay. Um, so, and then the third thing. So in other words, rebalance is the second thing. So if in those growth years, you got out of whack in your allocation, your 60-40 or your 50-50, because of the great return in the markets, your equity or growth positions got higher than what you were you were targeting. You got to rebalance that, you know, sell high and lock in those gains before the next drop, right? Um, so. First one, maintain adequate cash reserve. Second, rebalance. And third thing is build your plan R. Say just just what if, just for fun. You know, I have my plan A. I'm not assuming I'm in Janet Yellen's camp, and I'm still assuming I'm believing our politicians and our central bankers saying that this too will pass and that, you know, we'll be back to our pre-Rona numbers here and maybe a little bit longer than we were saying. But you might not want it. What if you don't believe them? What if they're all lying? And, you know, you want to give yourself a peace of mind saying, I'm going to build my plan R. I'm going to model in. I'm going to tell the robot, assume an economic downturn right now or in the next 18 months and model that in. And now does my does that affect the longevity of my plan? For some people, it will. For a lot of people, it won't. But at least you'll know you'll be in a better decision making mode. So. You can visit us at financialfoodforthought.com. You can call our main office at 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. All right, it's also March Madness is beginning, right? And, of course, I'm not talking about the college basketball championships. I'm talking about the tax season. And one of the things about the tax season and we we and if you go back and listen to our previous podcast we were talking about how the IRS is really self-proclaiming that they're in a crisis mode right now and it's still this issue where because of the Rona shutdown and then all the the stimulus check that they had to try to reconcile and manage um, the child tax credit that was being kicked out, you know, they have to manage that. And the, the sickness, you know, the, the, the shortage of workers, you know, not only the shutdown, but the, the employees that were out because of the COVID, uh, they haven't, the hiring problems at the whole country, the IRS isn't exempt from that either. They would love to hire more employees. Matter of fact, right now, their plan is to hire 10,000 workers. They call it the surge team, right? Um, now, can they just snap their fingers and have 10,000 people show up for work on Monday? I, I don't think so. I mean, or what price do they have to pay to attract that level of new employees? Are they competing against other companies that are also looking for employees? Um so, and, and why do they need these 10,000, this surge team is because they're still facing a backlog of around 20 million pieces of correspondence. that is probably sitting on in desk unopened from last year, 2020s or, you know, 20, you know, so, so can you imagine the confusion in talking about the tax season is if you as a taxpayer 
if you, you know whether you or don't know your 2020 return has been processed yet. I mean, obviously, if you're expecting a refund and you got it, it's been processed. Um, if you're expecting a refund and haven't got the refund from it, it may, may not be processed. And if you owed money and sent a check in with your return and they haven't cashed the check yet, it's probably not processed. You get the point. But can you imagine the confusion and the and what that's gonna how that's gonna confuse the IRS robots if you are now going to file your 2021 tax return before your 2020 tax return is processed? I, just think about that for a bit. So, also, what else do we know um, with inflation? So here's this, so the IRS also warned everyone in a letter that they sent out that starting April 1st, the interest that they charge for underestimated taxes is going up. All right. Now it's again, why is it going up? Well, why do you think it's going up? Because inflation, because everything is going up, including now what the IRS is going to charge you. If you underpay your taxes. Now, it's not going well. I'll let you be the judge. You think it's going up a lot. So currently, um, the underpayment interest is 3%. That's on an annual basis. Okay. Um, and we're talking about individuals here. Big corporations would, would pay more than that, probably closer to 5%. So the, the individual, it's going from 3% to 4%. Okay. Um, and they're saying that, yeah, that their warning is saying, you know, and, and the, so this gets back to, are you doing a good job with making sure you've got enough taxes paid in during the tax year, whether that's through withholding, if you're working your W-2 withholding or in retirement withholding on any pensions you may be getting or whether you elected federal withholding on your Social Security income, right? Or if you're taking distributions out of qualified plans, what withholding elections you're making there. Or if you're not doing it by withholding, are you then filing the quarterly estimates, right, that are due, you know, April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th? And are you paying those timely? It's not only that you have to make the quarterly estimates, they have to be timely, Right. In other words, you can't just blow off the first three and say, oh, I, I'm going to real smart. I won't pay any uh, uh, estimated tax on the first three estimates. I'll just wait and pay it on the fourth quarter estimate. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Right now, withholding may be OK that way, because as long as it's withheld by December 31st, the government treats it as coming in evenly throughout the whole year. Um, so now uh, now also what we learned during the Rona pandemic shutdown and the delay of the processing of the IRS documents is that if you were expecting a refund and they weren't in their normal window of getting that return processed and the ref refund back in your hands, that they would start paying interest to you on your refund. And that's still the case. And yes, that is also going up you know, uh, similar in similar rates. But again, that doesn't mean you always get interest on your refund. It, it's basically the idea that if, and, and I think their time period, uh, I don't know if it's three weeks or four weeks. Um, in other words, they have a time period that they say is, is reasonable for them to give you your refund. So if they are within that time frame, they're not going to pay you any interest on the refund. But if, in, in fact, they miss that window time frame, then they will pay you interest on that. Um, that's how they, they, they work that. Um, now, so this is an issue that we've been helping clients understand especially clients going into retirement. Because a lot of times our clients who are still working, they, they don't get into underestimated tax penalties too often because their payroll departments do a pretty darn good job of doing the right amount of withholding. Now, that's not always the case, but that's generally the case. But in, in retirement, okay, it's different. In retirement, you don't have a payroll department 
Now, you you might if you're getting a pension, but generally you don't have a payroll department who you're filling out W-4 forms and they're asking you about withholding because they know what they're paying you. Um, in retirement, a lot of your income is not the same every year. It depends on capital gains, which there's no withholding going on, right? Um, or dividends, non-qualified dividends, or IRA distributions where maybe you're not making the right withholding elections. So, you know, that it gets into those issues. Um, so that's where you get, you have to understand these safe harbors. Well, this brings to mind a current client I was working with this week. All right. And what happened was a couple of things. One is I was aware that, you know, we, we, we don't want to be paying underestimated interest penalties. So when we work with clients, we try to make sure we avoid that by working with the safe harbors. And but what what happened, what Fred flagged it for me was that earlier in the tax season, the client, you know, we had asked the client to, you know, let's let's make sure you got your, you know, your list out of what 1099 hours we're looking for and check them off and all that. And they had mentioned that they were going to go to a new tax preparer. They weren't going to stay with the person that had been doing it before because the firm that they were using before raised their prices. And I can't imagine why, but they did. So they didn't want to pay the higher price. So they were going to shop around and they did shop around. They found somebody who was going to do it for a lesser fee. Well, the red flag to me in that case is because I know now that, and I know this from experience for doing this for decades, is that when a new CPA or new enrolled agent takes on a new client, they don't, they don't have that historical information built into their robot what the client's previous tax history is when you go back to the same person every year they do right so it's not unusual that i that i make sure i try to flag when i know a client is switching tax preparers during the year that we make sure that we coordinate that and part of the is saying you know before the the they file your return press that button to electronically file it, stop and just tell before you press the button, can you send me a draft copy of the return so I can look at it and we can check it. And that's what we did with this client. So he did get the draft back um, from the, the new preparer and we looked at it and everything looked fine. In other words, the tax liability the tax that we thought that was going to be, you know, due for the year was within hundreds of dollars of, of what were projections were. Um, and, and the difference was easily reconciled. It was because of the, the client had a little bit more capital gains and a little bit more dividends than what his investment advisor had originally projected for the year. That's good news. Well, it's good news, bad news, because it increased the tax a little bit. But it was within the window. That wasn't there. What we found, though, however, is that when we looked at the bottom line of the return, we knew they were going to owe money. That was, you know, but we, but we saw that the, the new CPA, she had calculated an, an underestimated interest penalty. And we were like, well, there really shouldn't be one because we knew that the client had met their previous year safe harbor through withholding. So we, we had a, so we, we scheduled a three-way phone call with the preparer and went over that. And that's exactly what happened because she didn't have the history. She really didn't, you know, in her robot, she didn't really have the fact of the previous year's documentation. So her robot couldn't calculate a previous year safe harbor. It was just then defaulted to a current year safe harbor, which the client missed because it wasn't enough to cover that. So the penalty was, and so it, now it's not a make or break. You know, if the client had paid the penalty, it wouldn't have been the end of the world and wasn't going to, you know, bankrupt them. But it's just the, the idea. These are the little things that having a coordinated effort between your advisors gets you a better plan. It's certainly the client was happy and saying, yeah, I'm glad, you know, at least that, you know, not, that interest, that's going to fill up his tank a, a couple of times at the gas pump, even if we have, you know, uh, $4.50 a gallon. Um, so why not get it? Now, so that's a limb, but if you do now, 
the other thing that could have happened, maybe maybe one of the new 10,000 surge team would have caught it when the return was filed and say, oh, this client doesn't owe any underestimated interest. They had the previous year safe harbor. You could you could cross your fingers and hope for that. Now, there could be other relief, too. If the return had gotten filed and then this error was found later on, you, you could try to file, I guess, a, a re- amended return. Um, you know, or, you know, if, if for any reason this comes up, there is a form. It's uh, Form 843, Federal Form 843. It's like the claim for refund or request for abatement. That's a form if you, you know, are trying to get out. Let's say you really do owe the interest, but you want to you have a good excuse of why you don't want to be penalized that way and you're asking for abatement. Or you have reasons to say we disagree with, uh, you know, the interest. Because a lot of times what will happen is if you don't, a lot of times the taxpayer may be filing a return without you know, paying any estimated interest penalty, and the IRS calculates or some due, and then you get a notice to that. So these are the things. So those are the little things. That's part of the, what we talk about, March Madness. And these are the things we try to hold off. We try to catch before the return is filed that saves the uh, headaches and the confusion later on. I could just listen to Irish music all day. Carrie would kill me if she was here and let me play. But I want to get everyone in the mood. We missed St. Patrick's Day parade for the last couple of years. And I, I just hope that we can recover financially from the Rona risk like we seem to re- have recovered from the health. Not saying that the Rona health risk is gone. It'll be with us forever. But at least... We think we've maybe got a handle on it, what we need to do, what we don't need to do. But what about the financial risk? That is not past us. That will be here. And and when you add on the other geopolitical, what can you do to relieve your peace of mind that you'll be okay or that you are making the right maneuvers today? that will get you through the Rona risk, the the financial risk of Rona, as well as are you prepared for what we could have a recession? Now, one of those things is you can make different scenarios with the 4% rule, for example. And I've been doing this on this show. You can go back and listen to the previous podcast over the last, you know, four or five shows. And it's that idea of saying, well, normally if you were following Benjamin's 4% rule and you say you had a million dollars, you know, Carrie always wants me to use the million dollar example. That way, if your estate is half that or double that, it's easy to do the math. And that 4% rule says if you were thinking a 30-year time period, so let's take 65 to 94, and you're assuming a 5% rate of return on investments and you're assuming 3.5% inflation, the rule says you could start taking out $40,000 a year in year one and then increase that amount every year by 3.5%. So that keeps your lifestyle going. And if you follow that, by the time you get to the end of the 30th year, your investments would be approaching zero, spending the last dollar in the last day if you're in that camp. Now, a lot of people aren't in that camp, but that's why you have to customize it. But let's now, what, what we haven't had to do to adjust or customize the 4% rule in the last 40 years is adjust the inflation. Because actually, Benjamin's 3.5% inflation 
what was conservative. I mean, in other words, it was over conservative. Real inflation before the Rona wasn't even two. And if you may, or maybe you're saying with the core, it wasn't two, but maybe with the headline, it was three, three and a half. All right. So let's adjust. So let's now, what if you assume that we have 7% inflation, you know, ongoing forever? That'd be a pretty bad scenario, right? So now what does that do to your, where previously you were going to take a 40,000 first year withdrawal? How much would you have to reduce that if you're trying to budget your retirement lifestyle if you think that a 7% handle is ongoing? Okay, can you do that math in your head? I can't. I need the robot. Okay, the robot says you have to reduce that 40000 to 25000 And then if you take, start taking 25000 out, assuming a 5% rate of return, but 7% inflation, that will keep that million dollars going until age 94. Okay. Now that's a pretty grim picture, right? That's, that's not quite cutting it in half, but see how that, now maybe that works in your plan because then you're going to add into that any pension or social security you'll be getting in retirement, right? To get your total income. All right. But let's say you say, well, Mark, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I think this 7% handle is going to be with us for a bit yet. Maybe a little bit more entrenched than what they told us originally because they were lying to us. Okay, so let's tell the robot we want to assume 7% inflation for the next five years and then revert back and not even to the Fed's target of 2%. Let's just go back to Benjamin's target of 3.5%. So let's tell the robot assume 7% inflation for the next five years, then drop it to 35 ongoing. Now tell me with my million dollars, 5% assumed rate of return, how much I could take out in year one. And it comes back to be $36,000. Okay. But you might even want to go one step further. Because now what if you are in the camp that thinks we could have an economic downturn in the next 18 months, 12 months, whatever. All right, so now we, we think that, yeah, this 7% inflation is going to be around for about five more years, then maybe three and a half. But, Mark, I also think we are going to have an economic downturn. So that means if I've got a 60-40 portfolio, I got 60%, and we have a 25% hit in the stock market, I'm going to be down 15%. And then, you know, maybe that's the first year, and then maybe the, the second year, maybe we're at zero, and then maybe because we were in a recovery and it might not be as quick as recovery as the Rona recovery. That was unique. That wasn't the norm. You know, the beach ball bounce recovery. That's I don't know if the government's going to drop $7 trillion on our laps like they did last time. So now the recovery is going to be maybe lengthier or more what we historically saw. So maybe the second year, either zero gain. And then maybe the third year, you may be seeing a two and a half percent gain and then five percent going. Okay. Now what's the robot say? What can we start in year one? Not $40,000, $27,000. And I could go on and on. So if you want to see those, if you want to come into our free consultation, call us at 440-239-2090 or sign up. Go visit Financial Food for Thought. You can sign up for there. And when you come in and see us consultation, we'll use your numbers so it's meaningful to you. All right. Enjoy the games. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.